0: Today on CityCast Pittsburgh. It's a new year with new opportunity, and I'm with a few locals who care deeply about the kind of city Pittsburgh is and what it hopes to be in 2024. We're talking about some of the biggest stories we expect to see this year from the election. Yes, it is coming to ways that the city is actually growing. Some development news, our public schools, incarceration and housing. It's a lot to cover. So stay tuned. Buckle up. We're getting into the news. It's Tuesday, January 2nd. I'm Megan Harris, and here's what Pittsburgh is talking about. And with two people who are keeping a pretty constant eye on our city, it's progress and more. Rich Lord is the managing editor of Public Source. Good morning. Good morning, Megan. And Monica Ruiz is the executive director of Casa San Jose, who I understand has also been working behind the scenes right now with our incoming county executive, Sarah Inamorado, and that transition team. Gosh, I bet that's a big job. How's it going? It's going great. It is a lot of work, but it's it's exciting. I'm glad Uh, we'll start with the biggie. Um, It's an election year. And Monica, one of your big focuses, I understand, is voter engagement and turnout. Do you think that you are emotionally prepared for a presidential election for candidate visits? I think every time we go into uh,
1: a presidential election year, it's like, oh, this is this is the presidential election year of my lifetime. And I really feel like it's this one. This this is the one I think this is really going
0: to show us
1: where we are right now in this country.
0: Rich, you've had both the pleasure and the misfortune of having to chase around many of them over your career. What do you expect in?
2: Yeah, I'm with you, Monica, on this being, you know, the however many apocalyptic presidential election in a row. Uh, this one seems to be more than usual. Uh, I don't know, tinted or colored by the lack of confidence in democracy that unfortunately exists in so many corners. And I think it's going to be as much about, you know, whether democracy functions and how it functions and whether we can trust in The result, there will be a lot of people saying we can't trust in the result, potentially including one of the presidential candidates, uh, and that'll be as much of an issue as uh, really the policy differences.
0: And this past November was off year, of course, Um, still important races for us locally, like county executive, city and county councils, district attorney. Um, But unfortunately, not always a big one for everyone else. Um, But I was heartened to see at least that turnout was up a little bit from 2021, the last comparable election. Um, Monica, what do you think we're going to have to do to get people to care? Like what's working at the polls right now um, and what could maybe get better in the next few months before our primary in April?
1: I think that we have to stop thinking about um, voting every four years and just remind people that elections happen every single year and educate people on the importance of the people that we're electing. For example, which has happened with the county executive race. Number one, education is really important because most folks don't even know the powers that people hold uh, during these kind of like off presidential year elections. Number two, I think that making the ballots accessible in different languages, making our polling places uh, more welcoming and comfortable, making more uh, polling places accessible and uh, making it easier to vote is really important. The other thing I wanted to stress is that when we talk about engaging our voters, we cannot forget to target our youth. We shouldn't start targeting uh, 18 year olds about voting when they're 18. Right. Our youth should be we should have these conversations and do a little bit of movement with them prior to so that they're excited and educated uh, once they start voting.
0: Rich, what about you from your perspective? Um, what do you think is going to be top of mind for voters uh, either in April or in November? Um, I know it's hard to hazard a guess.
2: We've had this sentiment, particularly over the last year or two, that there's a desire, there's a hunger for a political center out there. And I think the Inamorado transition process is just a really interesting example of the possibility that there could still be a center. You know, whereas, you know, Executive Inamorado ran as a progressive Democrat, uh, the team that emerged uh, to help her transition was extremely broad based and maybe created some hope that there is still a way to govern as a centrist in our current political climate. So I think when the mud starts flying and when people start getting really angry about <laughs> what's occurring on the presidential level, we'll see whether there is a meaningful, again, kind of hunger for moderate for moderate politics, a hunger for a political center and for consensus that I think some of us detected last year.
0: Let's move on. Um, Our city school district, um, Pittsburgh Public, has had a lot of bright spots, um, but also a lot of issues. Unfortunately, um, enrollment is down, keeps falling. Um, Students have reported feeling unsafe. There have been incidents with guns and shootings on campus. Um, Test scores are down. Rich, uh, a recent strategic report that Public Source wrote about, um, another one, this one was $110,000, pointed to increasing racial disparity and a pretty broad, lack of equity across schools or at least the perception of it right that if i go to this school i can readily have access to something but if my kid goes to that one then you know it's it's a total luxury and you're lucky if you see it the scope of these issues just seems so big how is your team approaching how you talk about them and and talk to parents and students who are experiencing them
2: yeah gigantic year for P- pittsburgh public schools and you know we've approached it on a you know top to bottom uh, level, we've we've of course been communicating a lot with administrators at the district, with principals, with parents, with students. Uh, but you know politics and government loves a crisis and really only acts when there is a crisis. And you take all these grinding issues that you just laid out: performance, equity, uh, you know, funding disparity. Uh, and they've, they've existed for quite a long time, over capacity of buildings, but they've existed in an atmosphere that has not been considered a crisis because it's kind of been papered over with federal funds for the last three years since uh, the pandemic hit. Now the federal funds are running out and all of a sudden you get a crisis that could be you know, crippling, but it could also be an opportunity to address issues if there's leadership and, uh, and public input Uh, and potentially, hopefully, consensus at some point.
0: Yeah. Monica, anything from your perspective that you think the city should be considering in terms of how they talk about their schools or address some of these problems? Yeah,
1: I would just highlight that there are more foreign-born students entering now than before and to make sure that they have adequate programming and supports in these schools uh, to make sure that children are succeeding. I know that there are many issues everywhere, but honestly, Pittsburgh Public Schools is doing actually better than most schools uh, in, in helping these students. But I, you know, I agree with what you said, and I think that funding is one of the major issues that we're that we're seeing, why things aren't working. And there has to be more investment and better investment, sustainable investment in our education if we want to see it continue to do better.
0: Let's talk about some of those new students. Um, Monica, I know a lot of your work is focusing around our Latino community in Pittsburgh. Um, We did a show in October all about how overall the city of Pittsburgh is not growing, um, but that's not necessarily a bad thing for services and how we share them collectively as a community. Your suggestion for this conversation was growth. I'm curious if you can talk about how that looks to you um, and kind of how it's playing out. Yeah. So,
1: I mean, our population has been declining here for over 20 years. And the only population that's growing is the immigrant population. And so we have to think about I, I can only speak on Latino. I I can't very much speak on any other uh, population. But for us, the vast majority of us are uh, between the ages of 20 and 45. So we're a younger group and that's a young workforce. Um, folks are coming to this region because of jobs and they want to stay here. And they want to, if you look at areas like Beachview alone, I'll just talk about Beachview where the majority of those buildings were boarded up. There were barely any businesses there. The grocery store was going under. And now it's such a vibrant street, just that street alone with restaurants, a thriving grocery store. There's a church. There's so many things that are happening um, in just that one little neighborhood that could be happening all around. And I'm not just saying only for Latinos, it could be other groups as well. And again, I still want to stress the youth because what happens is that the youth don't feel like there's opportunities here and they leave. And we don't want that to happen. We want them to stay, but we have to create those opportunities here for them to stay.
0: Monica, you know, when I'm just watching your work over the years, it seems like so much of what you've accomplished has been built from within. Um, And it would be nice if it it didn't have to be so hard um, if our community would rally around. I'm I'm curious from your perspective, like, what do you think has worked really, really well? um, But what could be better, like a year or three years or 10 years down the line?
1: I think that the advocacy efforts, the education that we've done, um, Pretty loud all of the time. Uh, y- y'all you know are I mean? great.
0: It's, <laughs> Pittsburgh needs to be great with you.
1: <laughs> um, but humanizing folks, you know, it's hard to talk about immigrants and immigration when you've got it in the news where it's like immigrants are bad and they're doing all these terrible things. And then you look at neighborhoods like Beachview and Brookline and it's like, we're, you know, we're not bad. I can't tell you how many times I've been told to go back to my country and, you know, these things that are just so absolutely horrible. We, we shouldn't think this way. We shouldn't act like, you know, this isn't, this is 2024 20, at this point. Right. <laughs> um, and so what are we going to do? Like, there's got to be more to 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 yeah. living in a community and just being like tolerated
0: because
1: that's not the goal here. And so a lot of, a lot more work needs to be done. And I think things like this, getting platforms for us to speak to larger audiences that I normally don't have access to is really important, inviting you all and anybody who's listening, you know, to really think about uh, the way that they're interacting with people and the things that they're saying that may or may not be true.
0: Hey, Pittsburgh. Behind those stately red doors on Bingham Street, the brilliant minds at Pittsburgh's City Theatre have a brand new stage show for you. It's a modern revamp of the Shakespearean classic Hamlet. Fat Ham follows a young queer black man named Juicy whose father visits from beyond the grave to demand Juicy avenge his murder. Check it out through March 24th and get your tickets at citytheatercompany.org. Use code CityCast, all one word, for $5 off. One story that Public Source has been covering a lot this past year has been homelessness. Um... And how the city and county are responding or not responding to some of these needs for our unhoused community. Monica, I'm curious how you're seeing some of the barriers for people play out in terms of getting access to affordable housing in different parts of our city.
1: Yeah, I've I've said this a million times. Everybody wants to live in a nice neighborhood right? But there's a big difference between revitalization and gentrification. And so if we're going to revitalize these communities, we have to do it in a way where we're including the people that are there and keeping them there. And so many times we've fallen short of this, and then we end up with the situations that we're in right now. And, you know, people ask me a lot, where does the Latino community live? A lot of folks do live in Beachview. They do, because it was very affordable there. And the tea is there. And so people can get to where they need to be in a short period of time. But more and more, we're seeing people moving outside of the city because they no longer can afford to live here. And they're living in areas where there's food deserts. There's no pharmacies. It's nowhere for them to get, you know, preventative health care. Again, we as a whole need to start thinking of ways where we can create affordable living spaces for people where they are, where they can get their needs met.
0: Yeah. Rich, what about you? Um, You know, how have you how are you seeing the city's approach to affordable housing change over the years? Or is it changing at all?
2: Yeah, that's a huge issue. I mean, if you've been around here a while, like I I have, (laughs) you'll remember that affordable housing in Pittsburgh was kind of an oxymoron, you know, 30 years ago or so. Uh, of course, housing is affordable. This is Pittsburgh. You know, we've lost so many people and, you know, there's so many available units and houses. Uh, and that's the thing. Anybody- a few
0: a few years ago, city officials were celebrating Pittsburgh being the most livable city. But I don't know. I mean, the city did a housing needs assessment not too long ago and found that uh, gross rents were up 16 percent from 2015 to 2019. Like, is Pittsburgh affordable anymore?
2: And all you have to do is ride a bike trail and see the tents that are clustered along too many of them leaving leaving the city and say, okay, this is something that's different for us and that we clearly have not addressed in an aggressive and thoughtful enough manner. There have certainly been efforts to provide shelter and efforts to uh, build and replace affordable housing units. Remember when they were being lost by the hundreds uh, back in the nineties uh, due to Hope Six and other federal and local programs. There have certainly been efforts, but they just haven't been enough, and we're really struggling with the right balance of building new stuff, rehabilitating and preserving existing units, uh, coming up with new models and new transitional housing options, you know, really kind of the struggle, I think, for 2024 for this region.
0: Yeah. um, Public Source did a wonderful article in September that we'll link in the show notes talking about different kinds of initiatives and organizations that are trying to tackle different aspects of these problems. Um, Really encourage everyone to check that out. Uh, You know, another group that we talked to ahead of this call, um, we were able to connect with One Hood. Miracle Jones, their policy and advocacy director, said that they really want to engage more people just on how the buying process works um, because just that is a really difficult thing to wrap your head around if you've never done it. And they would also love it if the city would consider something like rent stabilization or a right to shelter law. Um, Have you all heard anything about proposals like that or if there's any appetite for it um, in city or county governments?
2: There's been talk of new models, including kind of cooperative housing. Uh, That's something that exists in other places and exists to some degree in our region, but certainly isn't a major part of the rental housing market. So there's discussion, but it's mostly been on the grassroots level. And, you know, Monica, you can probably tell me if that's emerging in, in the in Mirado transition process.
1: It is. And I think that in this transition, the interesting thing is that she didn't just select folks that are doing the grassroots work. She selected a broad range of people. And so... Um, in all of all of that is coming together. And I think that the process that she has also, so she's going to do a, a broad range mm-hmm. of outreach and things like that, listening from communities. But she's got the people who have the answers in the room.
0: Let's talk a little bit about that economic development. Um, It means so many things to so many people. Monica, when you're thinking about challenges around development um, and growth, what are you talking about? Like, what's the central issue?
1: Oh, there's so many. But I would say that we just have to think about, you know, the future of this region. You know, we have like one of the highest rates of elderly folks that live in this county. Yeah, Um, a ton. In the country, outside of like Florida, where people go to retire, Um, And so we want to make sure that they're taken care of. And normally that falls on younger folks to take care of those people. We want to create a good, sturdy tax base, which believe it or not, but immigrants pay taxes. Right. And so that's a great way to make sure that that is, you know, a a more um, sustainable tax source. We want Mm -hmm. to retain the youth right and and i mean and and think about not only just the youth that are leaving but you know our african-american brothers and sisters that are leaving because this is just a terrible place for them to live how Mm -hmm. can we make it better for them there's more than enough resources but we have to figure out how to allocate the funding to really highlight what's important to us not only in this country but in this region
2: and monica hits on a tension that has been existing in our region since at least the mid-1990s, if not earlier. And that's the tension between the desire to just get stuff built, just do something economically Mm -hmm. uh, versus the desire to make sure that what you built is for everybody and not just for a few. And that's a real balancing act that I think both the city and the county, but particularly the city, have struggled with is figuring out, you know, how much you can demand slash ask of the private development world in terms of affordable housing, in terms of, you know, accessibility, uh, you know, transit, you know, bike racks, et cetera, versus, you know, how far can you go without asking so much the deals don't get done? That's a real struggle in economic development, particularly in the city right now.
0: Yeah, I think it was Habitat for Humanity who estimated that our region is facing a shortage of about 15,000 affordable homes. Um, It just it makes such a huge difference in terms of how people imagine setting up their life and whether they can picture having a life in Pittsburgh, because if you can't afford it, then you can't be there. Um, Monica, I, before we move on, I wanted to touch on um, kind of that youth perspective too, because I know it's, it's a passion project of yours. When you picture uh, opportunities for youth in our region, what kinds of things like tangible things are you imagining um, so that folks are excited to stay here? It's not like it was in the 80s and 90s where a lot of folks were like, eh, Pittsburgh's my hometown, but I had to get out of Dodge where they're, they want to stay here. Um, it's not the exception. It's the rule.
1: Opportunities for jobs and opportunities for training and colleges and for everyone. And like, you know, more kids. I know like the trade unions, they need more folks. But honestly, they're unapproachable at times, especially for minority youth. And so what can we do to make those relationships better and stronger? Exposing them to the arts. You know, there's great things for them. But, you know, many kids are just many kids are going to school and then going to work right afterwards they don't they had to work to feed their to help feed their families they don't have time to do these other luxurious things like maybe go see a play or go to an art gallery or go to any of these things because they're so busy just trying to survive
0: or you know work that brings clout but isn't paid like unpaid labor that exposes you to a lot of different kinds of power brokers in the city absolutely and connections and
1: you know like our healthcare system needs people they need people to work and how are we getting kids excited our youth excited to be in those fields and what you know and just creating those opportunities and exposing kids to things. And I think, you know, even in schools, some schools have really great Votech programs, which are great, but they should be in all schools. Mm-hmm. And all of these schools should be, you know, better funded so they can do these things and better funded to take kids on these trips to different schools and do see what other opportunities are out there for them.
0: Yeah. Exposure, I feel like, is really half the battle. You can't dream about something if you don't know it exists, right? Um, So last up, I wanted to touch briefly, at least, on our centers of incarceration. They've both faced a lot of change in the last year. There's the jail and then Schumann, our juvenile detention facility. It's been closed since 2021, but it's set to begin reopening soon. Rich, how do you approach people to talk about these conversations? Because Public Source has done some great work, but I think a lot of people just don't have to think about jail or incarceration or detention and getting people to care about something that they don't feel in their day-to-day lives. It's, it's a really hard sell.
2: Yeah, we've heard from public officials periodically. Hey, you can write as much as you want about incarceration; none of the voters will care. And I, I really dispute they that. Said it and that
0: bluntly. I have
2: heard that from people in the public arena, unfortunately. Um, and I think that's not true currently. I think people do recognize that you know our country, including our region, incarcerates at a rate that just doesn't have other precedent in the in the developed world. Locally, of course, we've had uh, problems with health care and mental health care at the county jail. We've had a situation in which we've really struggled to figure out, you know, how to best deal with uh, youth who are who are charged with offenses. Um, and the impending reopening of Schumann is going to bring all that to a head where we have a contractor, mm-hmm. Adel Foy, that has faced uh, problems and accusations in some markets. Uh, we have right now uh, something in the neighborhood of 20 minors in the Allegheny County Jail and a lot of pressure to change that situation. Uh, we have, um, you know, no, no warden right now in the Allegheny County Jail. So it will be, again, a, a time of change amid uh, a kind of crisis atmosphere in, in incarceration.
0: Yeah, and I hear hiring a new warden is top of the list. Um, I'm also just excited to hear from an elected official who really wants to attend jail oversight board meetings. Um, Monica, what about you? What are you hoping for? I think that we have to
1: start thinking about the root causes of how people end up in jail, right? So if if we start funding better mental health services, if we start funding better housing, which are many of the reasons why people end up in these places, that we can avoid people uh, going in to to these things and I mean, it's just such a complex situation where it's like not just one thing. people need to stop dying in the Allegheny County jail. yep, right there's so many things that need to change again, but it's not just one approach it's it's multifaceted. and, and the fact that we have juveniles in the Allegheny county jail is is so it's unfathomable how how did how did this happen? I mean, I know how, obviously, I know how it happened, but we can't be here. We can, this is not a place where we need to be. There's got to be
0: better solutions. Yeah. Um, well, and I know I'm springing this on you a little bit, but I'd love if either of you could end with maybe, I don't know, a moment of light, a moment of joy, something that's bringing you uh, a little bit of happiness rolling into this new year
2: you know, in our region, the closer you get to the ground, the closer you get to individual communities, the more joy and the more spirit and vibrancy I think you find. Uh, In 2023, Public Source was blessed to spend a significant amount of time in uh, a number of different diverse communities. Wilkinsburg, for instance, Beachview. uh, Also, uh, we've seen, you know, positive changes and, you know, hope in places like the Hill District and the East End. So, you know, whenever I get really down about kind of the global or national picture, I I think, you know, I got to go local. I got to get hyper local here. And I know I'll feel better if I get get out on the street.
0: Rich, you edit so much now. I hope you actually get to physically go out and do those things on occasion. Not
2: (laughs) as much as I want to, Megan, but still, yeah, I do.
0: Monica,
1: what about you? I couldn't agree with you more, Rich, as much as I complain about Pittsburgh and the county and all, the, you know, this whole region, because it it is a lot. I love it here. I really do love it here. And I, you know, I'm here. I'm not going anywhere. I'm here to do the work. I want to do it. And, and, you know, I I don't know. I'm really dedicated to this and I, I really can't wait
0: to see what the new year brings. Monica Ruiz is the executive director of Casa San Jose, and Rich Lord is the managing editor of Public Source. Thank you both so much for sharing your work and also just like everything you're doing to make Pittsburgh better. It's palpable and it's appreciated.
2: Thank you so much, Megan.
0: Thank you, Megan. That's all for today here on CityCast Pittsburgh. If you're liking what you hear, please write us a nice review. I know people say that on podcasts all the time, but it really does help. And it's a nice way to show the CityCast team that you care. We might even read your review on the show. We'll be back tomorrow morning with more news from around the city. Talk to you soon. was a really excited 18 year old voter, like just because of a fluke of my birthday. It was like the next week I got to vote in a primary. I was so happy and pumped. I don't know if that was the same for y'all.
2: Too long ago, Megan. Sorry. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Lies.